Well, good morning, Bethany. How's everyone doing? Are we good? Tom's doing great. <laughs> I hope y'all are doing the same. Uh, it's so good to see you uh, on this beautiful morning. It really is uh, just such a pleasure of mine. Hey, uh, turn your neighbor and, and just say, I'm so glad you're here today. Just go ahead and do that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just such a blessing uh, to be here with you guys. Um, if you've been here, if this is your new time, uh, if you're a newcomer, uh, if this is your first time, or if you've been here for a thousand times, we uh, as a church, as any of the leaders, we want to get to know you. Um, and if we already know you, we want to get to know you more because uh, we want to take this community thing seriously. We want to take this fellowship thing seriously. Um, ooh. <laughs> so if we can pray for you, just let us know. Um, we're all here not to only be fed by this amazing gospel, but to feed others, to feed one another uh, through encouragement, through prayer, and in the love of Jesus. So praise God for us being able to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Tyler, and uh, I have the um, great honor to preach here sometimes. And uh, we're continuing our study in Luke in the series titled Meant to Be. And in this series, we've been looking at a variety of different uh, elements of the Christian life and how God intended them to be right? Or how they were meant to be. How relationships were meant to be. How prayer was meant to be. How joy was. How getting good gifts was meant to be. How, um, how prayer was. So let me tell you what, this series has just been an awesome experience. It's been such a, uh, just a blast. And, uh, on the one hand, I've just been like wrecked with conviction and, and uh, repentance and and uh, to leave behind certain areas of my life that I once thought were like how things were meant to be. But then on the other hand, I exchanged them for this overwhelmingly perfect and God-given parts of my life that was always meant to be true in the first place. So where we took a short, short break uh, to do a series um, titled Pray, Pray This Way through the Lord's Prayer, we picked back up in Luke, and, and now we find ourselves in Luke chapter 11. Uh, if you want to turn to your Bibles there, if you do not have a Bible, we want to give you that one uh, in front of you in the pew or underneath your seat. Um, that's a gift from us to you. We want you to read the word and, uh, and learn the word and experience the word. So um, before I get any further, I just I want to pray uh, once again. Uh, I want to welcome Jesus. I want him to do only what he can do. I want the spirit to move in the way that only the spirit can move. So if you could bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we are so, we are so blessed by you. We, we are so loved by you. We are so much in awe of the presence of you. We want you to be here. We want you to be here, Jesus. Um, Holy Spirit, I ask you that you move, that you move in this place and that we uh, can learn your gospel and we can experience your gospel and that we're not just listeners of your gospel, but we are doers of your gospel. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're in the gospel of Luke, right? And Luke, within the entire scope of scripture, is, uh, it offers us a very unique um, perspective on the life and on the mission of Jesus. The uh, Reformation Study Bible is the one that I use, and I highly recommend it. But pertaining to the Gospel of Luke, it states this. It says, uh, 
All right. Luke's main interest is salvation history. The story of what God has done in Jesus to bring salvation to sinners. Luke makes it clear that this salvation is available for sinful people. So when we're talking about salvation, especially within the gospel of Luke, I think we must first recognize where we, each and every one of us, play into the equation, like what our part is in all of this. And for Jesus to be our Savior, he in fact also has to be our Lord. Meaning where he goes, we as a church, we follow him. What he says, we listen And as we realize the price of our salvation, we can have no other desire in the world but to look to him as our only hope and as our only savior and our only source of love. So let's uh, look at what our passage uh, has for us this morning pertaining to what it means to just follow Jesus. So we're in Luke chapter 11, and we're going to be camping on verses uh, 27 and 28. And just to add a bit of context to this passage, we're, we're looking at a scene where you can... Imagine Jesus is starting to form quite the crowd as a result of his ministry. People are starting to hear about this guy that not only claims to be the Messiah, but he's actually coming in clutch and like doing all these messianic things. He's like actually performing miracles. He's actually fulfilling prophecy. I mean, you can only imagine the sort of crowd that's going to be drawing. It's like, it'd be like if Elvis made a comeback right now, right? A lot of people would be thinking like, I don't, I don't really know if this is the real Elvis, maybe, I don't know. But then there's other people that have been like anticipating it, and they're just like, where have you been? <laughs> like, what is this? But I, I, do, I do want to clarify that the king of rock and roll has, he just pales in comparison to the king of the universe. I just want to get that out of the way. I promise you, I know that. So we find Jesus teaching to these crowds. And in the midst of this, we read in the text, and it states this, says, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So we've got this lady that in the middle of whatever Jesus is doing or whatever uh, he's saying, she shouts, blessed is the womb that bore you and breasts of which you nursed. And everybody's probably looking at her like, who is this lady? Like, why is she yelling this stuff? And, uh, and they're like, this ought to be good, <laughs> right? So, but Jesus, he, he turns and he's like, he wants to take this as an opportunity to teach. Like many other places in scripture, Jesus takes whatever he's thrown at him and he uses it as an opportunity to explain and share his gospel message. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Another translation might say, those who hear the word of God and do it. Or obey it. Let's take a minute and look at what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that our obedience leads to our salvation. He's just not. You know, like the thoughts of, uh, if I do this this way, or if I, if I say these things, or if I help in this way, then, then 
I will really know that I'm saved. It's then that I'll really know that the blood of Christ was sufficient. But listen, the blood of Christ is sufficient, but we had nothing to do with it except for, you know, be like the reason why he had to die because of our sinfulness. In other religions and other worldly thinking says that we must build up ourselves in every single way so that one day or every single day we can be perfect or ideal, right? But Christ calls us to empty ourselves. Get that? Every single day in order that his perfection will replace our imperfection. Man, we just can't earn salvation. We just can't. It's not how it works. Ephesians 2, 8 states this, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. One of the uh, most influential pastors of our time, John Piper, he says this uh, pertaining to this um, scripture. He says, by grace through faith. There's the correlation that guards the freedom of grace. Faith is the act of our soul that turns away from our own insufficiency to the free and all-sufficient resources of God. Faith focuses on the freedom of God to dispense grace to the unworthy. It banks on the bounty of God. Therefore, faith, by its very nature, nullifies boasting and fits with grace. Wherever faith looks, it sees grace behind every praiseworthy act. So it cannot boast, except in the Lord. So Paul, after saying that salvation is by grace through faith, says, and and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith cannot boast in human goodness or competence or wisdom because faith focuses on the free and also supplying grace of God. Whatever goodness faith sees, it sees as the fruit of grace. My friends, we can find so much joy and so much comfort in knowing that we serve an all-sufficient God that doesn't require us to earn our salvation based on our own merits and on our own deeds. He didn't leave us to figure it out on our own, which is really good news. He knew that we needed a savior because if we could conjure up enough merit, if we could conjure up enough good works to save ourselves, Jesus wouldn't have had a reason to come and save us and die on the cross, that brutal death. And this is just the best news for just messed up people like us. That we serve a God that chooses to come to us. That is God with us, Emmanuel, that calls to live us in a fresh identity in him. That wants to give you his joy and his peace. And he does so by asking you to follow him and to obey him. So we become obedient when we find our identity in Christ I've um, heard, once heard it said, our identity fuels or drives our activity. Our identity fuels or drives our activity. In other words, our activity reflects the condition of our hearts. 
So our, our identity in Christ, being set free from sin, being given new life in him, being saved by his grace and be given the free gift of faith in him, finding our identity in those things, then our activity ought to reflect the condition of our heart. And if you're in Christ, he gives you a new heart with new compassion, with new desires for the things that he has compassion for and the things that he desires. But we can get this so confused and so twisted sometimes See, there there are plenty of uh, religions, there's plenty of um, other ways of thinking that would love to have you believe that you have to do all these things for God, or you have to do all these things for yourself that ultimately determine your identity. But that just isn't the gospel. We're not here to fill out boxes on a checklist. Our culture does this, doesn't it? Look at money, look at social status how much money we make, the the job that we have, the material things that we've gathered up in this short life of ours. By having a perfectly put together life on Instagram or on Facebook. These things determine our identity in the eyes of the world. But those things are lying. They're lies. Jesus doesn't want that. He wants the gospel to be our identity. And when we put it in the right order in our hearts, our actions will reflect that, right? Jesus is saying because of our identity as God's children, we want to honor him with what we do. We get to honor him with our lives. It's an opportunity to. It's the best opportunity to. The good news is that our identity is in Christ. As forgiven in this identity, we are sprung forward with an activity that reflects a Christ-like heart and gospel-spreading purpose. So let us never believe the lie that our activity is what will change or define our identity. See, that's works-based salvation. Jesus calls us to grace-based salvation. So this brings us back to the passage The lady that speaks up is probably coming from an honest heart. She's come to the crowds uh, knowing that Jesus performed so many miracles and and he's over and over defied what all these Pharisees and all these officials have been saying. So she's just there. She wants to listen and see for herself what's going on, right? So she sees Jesus walking around with the crowd and and with such honesty and high esteem. she, She says, blessed is the womb that bore you. Meaning, How great of an honor it must be to be the mother of such a miraculous man. She must really have Jesus' blessing by default because, you know, like, she's his mother. But in essence, Jesus is like, that's not really the point. You know, this wasn't the first time Jesus responds this way. Let's flip back a few pages to Luke uh, 8, 19 through 21. It states this, it says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, Jesus' mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Hear the word of God 
and do it? Why do you think this is almost the exact same answer that's recorded twice in the Gospel of Luke? I think it's because Jesus is really vividly trying to communicate to us that there's no other salvation found apart from that through faith in Christ Jesus. There just isn't. And his earthly family is no exception to that. See, what Jesus is saying here is just verifying his mission for saving sinners like me, like you. Even by being related to his earthly family doesn't get you into the God's, into God's kingdom. O- only by faith in Jesus, only by knowing him and, and truly knowing him is how we enter the kingdom of heaven. Because I can sometimes feel like I'm hanging out with the right crowd. I can sometimes think I'm saying the right things or that I belong to the right small group or I'm praying the right stuff or I'm avoiding the right things. I'm not swearing. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. It's because of those things I have faith, right? I have faith in him. But let me tell you, that sort of faith that I'm talking about is completely foreign to the faith which Christ calls us into. And it's going to fail every time. Because Jesus, he doesn't want performers. He wants sons and daughters. He doesn't want performers. He wants sons and daughters. Ones that cling to his word and his promises. Ones that worship him, not just in singing once a week, but constantly living in the truths and the reality of his word. Loving the poor, loving the oppressed, helping those in need, encouraging people, praying for people, and sharing his gospel. Because you know what the gospel stands for? Like the, the, the term in Greek, euangelion, means good news. It means good news. It's good news, guys. It's really great news. It's the best news. We have a God that so loves us that he, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. One that did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world might be saved through him. That's courtesy of John three sixteen. But he wants to restore you in every single way. If you have faith in Jesus, he will do great works through you. And you're going to have no idea where the will for those things came from. It'll be so like foreign to you. You'll be like, Jesus, I don't even know you could do that through me. I promise you that. All of a sudden, you start wanting to pray for people you've never wanted to pray for. Or you just started wanting to share the gospel with people that you never would have thought you'd share the gospel with. Some crazy things happen when lost people are used by Jesus to point other lost people to faith in him. You're either all in or you're all out. There's not really an in-between. There's not a lukewarm. Well, there is. It's miserable to be lukewarm. I like to think of the passage as stating, blessed are those who are all in. That, like, like Nike has said all along, that just do it. They just do it. And, and you thought Nike came up with that, right? That was, no, 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 no. That was Jesus. That was a long time ago he came up with that one. And he's calling us to have faith in him. Just do it. Just do it. Trust him. 
Trust that he's going to provide for you and that he's going to work in you and he's going to work through you for his kingdom. Just, just let him do that. Just do it. So for the rest of our time here uh, this morning, I want, to, I want to look at two central truths to pull from this passage. The first of those is this. God delights in our obedience. He just does. And why does he delight in our obedience? Because he hates our disobedience. It breaks his heart when we disobey. He hates it just as much as any other sin because he knows it's robbing you from the life that he meant for you to have. Let me just clarify. God doesn't uh, hate your disobedience because it's you that's performing the disobedience. He hates it because he wants you to turn from the things in which he hates so that you and, and that you alone, made clean, made righteous, can be his. And he can actually have the thing that he paid such a high price for on the cross. And it just breaks his heart to see you continuing on believing that the greatest joys and the greatest pleasures are found in this world. He just wants you. He's, he's forgiven you. He doesn't want you to continue on thinking that the, world, the way the world sees you is how he sees you. John Piper also brilliantly says this. He said, somebody asked me one time, should you pursue joy or should you pursue obedience? And I said, that is like saying, should you pursue apples or should you pursue fruit? Because if you obey the command to light yourself in the Lord, you are pursuing joy. And so obedience and joy can't be contrasted like that. So when we follow him, when we want what he wants, we are stepping into the life that our souls long for. For the closeness with our creator. And it brings him joy. And in that joy alone, do we find our joy. So we must be obedient through our adoration of him. This actually leads us to the next truth that I want to pull from this. It's that we must not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. Doers also. This one's huge, you guys. Uh, it can absolutely be said that there's so much joy in hearing the word of God. Am I right? It's, it's incredible. It's rich. It's alive. All the stories, the truths, the poems, the narratives of scripture. We, we just have such an amazing book set before us every single day. Praise God, we have it. And I promise you, there's so much joy found in hearing the word of God, whether it be uh, through podcasts, on the radio, listening to sermons, or what have you. There's just so much joy to be found in doing those things. But let me, let me tell you that there's so much more joy in doing those things, in doing what the word says. There's so much more joy in those things. In a passage that I want to spend the rest of our time looking at, it's going to be found in the book of James. And, and James, of course, is uh, Jesus' brother, and we find him here writing on exactly what Jesus is saying about hearing the word of God and doing it. We're going to be in chapter 1, starting in uh, verse 21. The text, it states this. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Also continues to say, but the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Another way to think of this is by uh, just a quick story. Uh, it's about me. It's true. Um, I was I was young, so maybe like ten, maybe eleven. I was living in Florida. And in my house in Florida, I lived like four blocks away from one of my best buds, Brian, right? And uh, man, me and Brian, we did everything together. We were just like bros to the max, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and we just did, I lived at his house basically. And um, so like many times before I would go over to his place, I would go ask my mom, um, like, hey mom, or I, I don't know if I had this voice when I was that young, but hey mom, um, I had plans with <laughs> Brian to go hang out with us uh, for the evening with uh, some buddies. We're going to watch a movie or do something. I don't know. Uh, and my mom, she, she says, uh, okay, sweetie, I'll just, I'll just need you to be home by 8 p.m. I, I just need you to be home by 8. Very clear. Uh, I don't want you to be home past uh, dark. So, yeah, all that. Um, well, 8 comes around, and I'm not home. 8.15, and... Still not there. 8.30. 8.45. Finally, at 9 p.m., I come walking through the door all giddy and having fun. You know, I was hanging out with my friends, and uh, my mom's waiting for me. She, she's waiting for me, and uh, out of love, uh, obviously, she says this. Hey, bud. Did you not hear when I said 8 o'clock? And, and, and I said, like any other 10-year-old would say, well, well, yeah, of course I did, but we started watching a movie. It went a little too long. Uh, you know how it goes, Mom. Like, it's whatever. Uh, and she says, no, 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 no. I don't think you heard what I said. You weren't really listening. Because if you were listening, you would have done what you agreed to do as well. And this is kind of what James is trying to say in the passage that if we're to actually hear what Jesus is saying in his word, we might do what he says in his word. So this makes our works essential. I know some of you might think think now, uh, wait, hold on, I think he just said, our good works mean nothing in terms of salvation. That's because they don't. Our works don't have anything to do with our salvation but they mean something in our sanctification. They mean so much in how we grow in the Lord. The Lord uses so many different ways to uh, form us into the men and women that he wants us to be. Romans 6, uh, 1 through 5, it states this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we we were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Notice how Paul says right there, walk in newness of life. He says, walk in newness of life. Meaning, take this newness of life wherever you go. Maybe it's sometimes a sprint. Maybe it's sometimes you're just slowly taking a step forward in your faith and you don't see any progress, but you know you're trying to learn about Jesus and you want him to form you and, and, uh, and teach you what he wants to teach you. But it's a slower process. Or maybe it's requiring you to work harder than you ever worked in your life. This whole ministry thing was never meant to be easy or comfortable. None of it is. But man, when I know the joy that it brings to the one that took my place up on the cross and bore the penalty that I deserve, man, all of it's worth it. Everything's worth it. The singing, the preparing for my sermon, the talking with people, the praying with people, it's all worth it because he is so, so worthy of it. He's so, so worthy of receiving the glory and the honor that this short life has to offer. Following Jesus is about the gospel lived out in your life. The gospel is too good to not be walked out. It's too good to just be thought about. We must live it out. It's too powerful. It's too active to not be lived out, my friends. It has to move you to action. We must do something with this gospel. We must do something with this gospel. We can easily slip into being comfortable and being uh, performance-based in our gospel, but we must buckle down and just realize that it's the long journey of how we live our lives. It's not just a to-do list. It's quite the journey. Our relationship with God should not be performance-based. God hasn't called you to do better. He's just calling you to have him be better and do better things through you. It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done for us and what he can do through us. And we have to recognize that our faith indeed without works is dead. If I sit in my room and I pray and I ask God, please show me your will. Just show me what it is that you want to do with me, God. Please, God, I want to follow you. I really, really do. But then I go out into the world and I have no desire to actually follow his word and actually do his word. Then I never actually wanted that. Then I've heard what God wants, but I never actually wanted that. I always say that the first five minutes of the day is the most important time of the day. I've said this before. Because it's when you're going to decide if you're going to follow Jesus or not. 
And I know you have plenty of opportunities throughout the day to do that. But why not start right when you wake up? Why not start when we open our eyes to a new day that the Lord has given us? Because we can so often think that there's a lot more important stuff to do and worry about than the God of the universe in our mornings. And one of my greatest fears is that somebody, I hope it's not a bit, nobody in this room that will hear the word of God and understand the word of God and walk away from it. And, and they don't feel the urgency of this gospel that's terrifying for me because this Bible is transformative. It is influential. It is so powerful. Yet we as humans can still say, no. And that breaks his heart. That breaks his heart. Following Jesus is so worth it. He is so worthy of it. He wants you to follow him. He seeks you every single day. He calls us every single day. If you could bow your heads with me, let's, let's pray. Lord, your word is, is so sufficient. Your promises to us are so good. Your love for us is so beyond our understanding. And I pray that we can see that this morning. And I pray that we can go out into the world and love the people that you so love the way that you do. I pray that this congregation can hear your word and then do your word with joy and with adoration for you, not out of um, resentment, but out of pure joy that the Lord of the universe has come to us and he says, you and you and you are mine and I love you so, so much and I need you to be a part of my family. He says this and he wants you, if you, if you haven't welcomed him or if you haven't received Jesus, I encourage you to. I encourage you to pray to him and to just say, Jesus, I don't know exactly who you are, but you're so important. I need you. I love you. I want to learn how to love you more. So, Jesus, we pray these things all in your name. We want to be changed by you. We want to worship you. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. There'll be some people up here praying. If you need prayer, um, I'll be one of them. So let's just worship.